In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Christ Jesus, I acknowledge you as King of the universe. All that has been created has been made for you. Exercise upon me all your rights. I renew my baptismal promises, renouncing Satan and all his works and pomps. I promise to live a good Christian life and to be diligent in furthering the teachings of Almighty God and your Holy Church. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I am Matthew Arnold, your host, and the confusion stops here. October is the month of the rosary, and later on in the program, we're going to take a biblical look at our Holy Queen, the Blessed Virgin Mary. But first, you might be wondering why I started this show with a prayer to Christ the King. Well, Catholics who assist at the extraordinary form of the Mass and consequently follow the traditional liturgical calendar, as they are already aware, we celebrated the Feast of Christ the King last Sunday. It falls on the last Sunday of October in the traditional calendar. And considering that there is a national election coming up next week, it is well to remember that Catholics are monarchists at heart. Because no matter what country uh, you live in, no matter what country you may be a citizen of, you are first and foremost a subject of Christ the King. And while his kingdom is not of this earth, it is your true homeland. However, the church, which is the outpost of that kingdom in this veil of tears, the church teaches that if a Catholic lives in a country where they have a right to vote, then they also have a duty to vote. Patriotism is a virtue of piety. As a good Catholic, you should love your country. You should be grateful for it. You should be genuinely concerned about its welfare and respect and obey its lawful authority. But true love of country is always subject to the law of him who gave us our country. God first, God and country. Render unto Caesar, our Lord says, the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. So by all means, you pay your taxes, you defend your country's rights when called upon, and you vote honestly and without selfish motives. In other words, you should vote according to Christian principles with a heart for the common good and not your own self-interest. And this is an important responsibility. Uh, Catholic voters are responsible to God for the people that we elect to office. For he's permitted us to have the right and duty to select the candidates we want. So Catholics must exercise that right properly, electing candidates of experience and uh, Christian principles. Because if we elect people with no religious principles, then we shouldn't be surprised if they prove to be, shall we say, unsatisfactory leaders. Matters closely connected with the life of people are the constant subject of legislation. And you have a duty to select candidates that can be expected to act justly in questions of, of morals and have Christian principles at heart. Okay, that's, that's the principle, that's the axiom. But how do you put it into practice? How does that translate to, to the really real world? Well, let's consider. In the presidential election this year, we have two main candidates. One of them, a former businessman, has a proven track record of improving the national economy and therefore the lives of uh, people at the bottom of the ladder. He's followed the principle of subsidiarity during the COVID crisis, uh, allowing states to respond with regulations at the, at the local level rather than trying to impose some kind of one-size-fits-all centralized policy. 
He has dramatically furthered the cause of peace in the Middle East against all expectations, has done more for the pro-life cause than any president since Roe versus Wade, and has received nothing but constant criticism from both parties and from the press. Now, on the other hand, uh, the, his opponent is the darling of the mainstream media. He's a career politician who has a proven track record of destroying the economy, who for decades has promoted the most draconian of centralized policies, who furthermore personally officiated at a gay wedding ceremony and for 47 years has had a 100% support, given 100% support to the daily destruction of thousands of human lives through the deadly sin of abortion and has sworn never to give an inch on that support. Now, one of these candidates calls himself a Catholic. Let me ask you a question. If you didn't already know who was who, which candidate would you think sounded more like a Catholic based on their actual policies and accomplishments? See, there's a precedent here in the Holy Bible. Pope Benedict, in volume two of his uh, work, Jesus of Nazareth, recalls that Pilate allowed the crowd a vote to release either our Lord whose only crime was to offer people a path to peace with God, or Barabbas, a zealot revolutionary out to violently overthrow the Roman government. Now, Benedict notes that Barabbas's name, his first name, was also Jesus. So Pilate, you know, and Barabbas, by the way, means son of the father, Bar, son of Abba, or Abba, the father. So Pilate offered the crowd a choice between Jesus bar Abba, Jesus the son of the father, and Jesus who calls himself the king of the Jews. Now once again, if you didn't already know who was who, which Jesus would sound more like the Messiah and which Jesus like the revolutionary? The son of the father or the man who would be king? See, the point is that, that one of our presidential candidates calls himself a Catholic but I fear that those who vote for him on that basis are like the ill-informed Jews who look for their salvation by shouting for Barabbas. Now, I know a good many Catholics who uh, <laughs> had to hold their nose to vote for Donald Trump back in 2016. And they voted for him simply to defeat Hillary Clinton, which, you know, is reason enough. But they were deeply concerned about Trump's fitness for office uh, and they let everybody know <laughs> just how much they hated voting for such an uncouth fellow. But to their credit, some of these Catholics, uh, Eric Sammons comes to mind, have you know who were so reluctant the first time around, have actually come out now publicly in their support, their positive support of Trump, um, and and the, supporting him this time around, based on his accomplishments, on what he was able to do as president. See, we're in a situation where neither candidate is uh, Catholic in any real sense. You know, uh, Trump's a Protestant and, and Biden's Catholic in name only. Frankly, I mean, objectively speaking, when he officiated at a gay wedding, he excommunicated himself, not to mention his uh, unqualified support for abortion. But I don't think that, you know, although neither of them is, you know, what I would call a, a no-nonsense Catholic, a real Catholic, um, I don't think Trump is 
hostile to certain Christian principles in the way that Biden is. But, but neither is an ideal candidate by any stretch of the imagination. So what is a Catholic to do? Well, some folks say that they will abstain from voting. Neither candidate's any good anyway, and uh, according to the polls, Biden is a sure winner, so I'm just not going to bother. Well, first off, if this were true, if Biden was a shoe in and by the way, that's what they said about Hillary in 2016. You know, sometimes I think these, these polls that show Biden so far ahead are calculated to, you know, get Trump supporters not to vote. But even if it were true, even if your vote would not enable Trump to win, it will at least lessen the margin of his defeat. Biden will not have won by as much. But if you abstain from voting and thereby contribute to the success of a rapidly pro-abortion candidate, then you will have much to answer for. But, Matthew, is there no alternative, you ask? Well, certainly. I mean, there may be some third-party candidate that better fits your ideal standards, but if he or she is not a viable candidate, and there hasn't been one in my lifetime, uh, then you might as well vote for the worst candidate. Because your wasted vote is not contributing to his defeat, then, you know, you might as well be uh, helping put him in office. In the present reality, voting for some third-party candidate may be emotionally satisfying, but it's an empty gesture and potentially a harmful one because the only recent example of, of a more or less successful third-party candidate was Ross Perot, who got 19% of the vote back in 1996. But with what result? See, the result was that Bill Clinton won a presidential race that would otherwise have been a landslide victory for George W. Bush or H.W. Bush, or Bush Sr. And that was a dreadful consequence of which we're still feeling the effects. And why? Because some conservatives and libertarians didn't think Bush was their ideal candidate. Well, clearly, even if the top two candidates are less than perfect, it's still necessary to support a viable candidate, whether he wins or not. And Catholics have to vote for the, for the candidate that's the least hostile to core Christian principles. And so it's vital to realize that the most fundamental of such principles is the right to life. There is no social justice issue that's, that's remotely morally equivalent to the wholesale destruction of the unborn. Thousands every day, millions every year. One candidate, whatever his shortcomings, has done more for the pro-life cause than any president since Roe v. Wade. The other is sworn to uphold abortion on demand no matter what the cost. For this Catholic, the choice is clear. And that's no nonsense. All right, when we come back, I'm going to be talking about Mary, the mother of God, and our queen mother in, uh, in honor of the month of the rosary and the recent celebration of the Feast of Christ the King in the extraordinary form. Also want to remind you, this 7th of November, we're having another virtual conference free on YouTube. Starts at 9 a.m. on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio YouTube channel. Going to be showing the What Every Catholic Needs to Know series. The Bible, Mary, the Pope, Hell. Terry Barber and I will be there live hosting. Uh, and Scott Hahn, Tim Staples, Steve Ray, Jesse Romero, and a host of others represented on those shows. So be there or be square. We'll be right back after this.
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com Code VMPR Live Porn Free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism. And today we're going to be talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Holy Bible. Mary, our Queen Mother of Jesus Christ, our Sovereign King, always brings us closer to her Son. And, uh, you know, the the fathers and the saints of the Church tell us that when the Archangel Gabriel asked Mary to be the Mother of Jesus, that all the angels in heaven held their breath to hear her reply. Because the whole salvation of the world hinged on Mary's answer because it was her free choice to become the mother of God. And that's where we get the expression, no Mary, no Jesus. Because, of course, she said yes. Because although she had her own free will, she always chooses to do the will of God. In fact, Mary is so closely united to Jesus that we also know the closer we get to her, the closer we get to him. And that is why we also say, no Mary, No K-N-O-W, no Mary, no Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Mary shared in all the most important events in the life of Jesus Christ. Of course, his conception and his birth, his childhood, his first miracle, his public ministry, 
his sorrowful passion. Mary was also with the early church after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. She was there when he sent the Holy Spirit. We remember the powerful bond between Jesus and Mary, especially when we pray the mysteries of the rosary, which, of course, come from the Bible. And that's the month of the Holy Rosary is one of the reasons we're bringing this up. Now, Mary in the Bible. An angel announced that Mary would be the mother of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1. And now after her fiat, when she says yes, and Jesus became man under her heart, she paid a visit to her cousin Elizabeth. And then she gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. She was by the manger as the wise men and the shepherds came to adore him. Under threat of danger from Herod, they fled into Egypt, she and the baby Jesus and his foster father, St. Joseph. And Mary presented Jesus in the temple and later when he was 12, found him there teaching. And Jesus performed his first miracle for Mary at the wedding at Cana. And so we've got the, the joyful mysteries and the first luminous mystery here. Jesus was at Nazareth when he was rejected by his own people. She watched him die on the cross, again, the, the, the crucifixion being the fifth sorrowful mystery. And she was with the apostles in Jerusalem for the sending of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which is the third glorious mystery. Now, in the very first book of the Bible, Mary is the woman who God spoke of prophetically, who said, would one day crush the head of Satan. And in the very last book of the Bible, she is also the woman who's assumed into heaven and crowned as queen. So again, we have the assumption and, and the coronation in the book of Revelation. Now, to really grasp the connection between Jesus and Mary in the Bible, we need to learn to read the scriptures in the spirit with which they were written. That's the advice of uh, Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ. Read the scriptures in the spirit with which they were written, if you would profit from reading the scriptures. Now, we know in the Old Testament, God made special agreements called covenants with uh, various representatives of the chosen people, with Adam, with Noah, Abraham, Moses, King David. And then I would say that there is a, a sixth covenant, which would be the prophetic covenant, that he spoke through the prophets during the, the time after the uh, destruction of the temple, prophesying that uh, the coming of, of, of Christ. You know, all of these events foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah, the, the, the greatest of all the prophets and priests and kings and, and the one who would save the world from sin and death. And these prophecies are fulfilled by Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and the Son of Mary. And like Jesus, Mary was also foretold in the Old Testament. Um, in Luke, when the angel addresses her, he says, Hail, full of grace. That's literally from the Latin, Ave Gratia Plena, Hail full of grace, which is taken from the Greek, Kyrie uh, Kikaritomene. Now, the doctors and the fathers of the church tell us that this greeting shows that Mary is without sin. Now, it's interesting, in the Old New American Bible, the 1970 version, it translated Hail full of grace, Ave Gratia Plena, Kyrie Kikaritomene, as rejoice. O highly favored daughter. Now, I just thought that was just a you know poor translation or that they were trying to read into it something that wasn't there until 
I read Redemptoris Mater by St. John Paul II. Now, obviously, we know that the, the translation has been returned to uh, the more literal translation, Hail Full of Grace. But St. John Paul said that the Greek does bear or will bear that interpretation. And further, it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of Zephaniah. He says, compare the words of the angel Gabriel at the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1 and the prophet Zephaniah's prophecy of daughter Zion in Zephaniah 3. So Luke 1 says, Rejoice, O highly favored daughter. This is the 1970 translation of New American Bible. Rejoice, O highly favored daughter, the Lord is with you. Zephaniah, shout for joy, O daughter Zion, the Lord is in your midst. Luke, do not be afraid, Mary. You will conceive in your womb the Son of the Most High. Zephaniah, fear not, O daughter Zion. Your God is in your midst, a mighty Savior. Now, why is this prophecy significant? Well, it's because of what we read in the book of Exodus, that Moses asked God to dwell in the midst of the people. You know, we know that uh, God communicated with Moses, and Moses was acted as mediator, intermediary, uh, that that, uh, he would come down, the Spirit of God would come down and and overshadow the ark in the tabernacle, and, and the presence of God would fill the tabernacle and communicate with Moses. Moses says, dwell in the midst of the people, but God says, I cannot. Why? Because of their sin. Because the people are sinful, he cannot dwell among them. Now, later on, the the prophet Zephaniah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, foretold the coming of this daughter of Zion in whom the Lord could dwell. In other words, a, a daughter of Zion who was sinless. So the greeting of the angel means that Mary is without sin. His greeting reveals that Mary is the daughter Zion foretold in the Old Testament, that that was a type of Mary. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 116, says, Of her, of Mary, was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah, or the Christ. And in these few words, St. Matthew puts Mary at the center of the history of God's people. Because of her was born the Messiah, the son of David, the Christ, the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. But as the queen mother of the king of kings, Mary is also at the center of all human history. For Jesus, the fruit of her womb, it says Luke 1.42, is the source of salvation for the whole world. You know, Matthew says that the Virgin Mary was, quote, with child through the Holy Spirit. And that fulfills the promise that God made through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. All right, that's Matthew 1, 22 and 23, but it's quoting Isaiah 7, 14. Through Mary, because she is the mother of Jesus, God really is with us. And if Jesus is God, then Mary is really the mother of God. And as we'll see, the Bible shows Mary's role in the history of salvation as the new Eve and as the Ark of the Covenant, as well as the Queen Mother of the kingdom of God. You know, in the Bible, we find that Mary cannot be separated from the saving uh, mission of Jesus. 
St. Paul in Galatians, and this is from Galatians 4. This is one of the earliest professions of faith that was written down, one of the earliest confessions of faith in the Holy Scriptures. And he says, when the time finally came, God sent his own son. He came as the son of a human mother that we might become God's children. So the New Testament really tells us everything that we need to know about Mary, that she was made holy, that she was meant from all eternity to be the mother of God's only begotten son, that she would be crowned queen and mother over all who enter into God's kingdom. And since being crowned queen of heaven, Mary has appeared many times to faithful people to help bring them closer to Jesus, like Juan Diego in Mexico or St. Bernadette in Lourdes and so on. Jesus came to us through Mary, and now he wants us to come to him through Mary. Right? Remember, no Mary, no Jesus. No Mary, no Jesus. And that's no nonsense. So that, that's the beginning of Mary in the Bible, the Old Testament prophecies and the uh, Annunciation and the Visitation. But we see Mary now, she appears as the new Eve. Okay? Um, in the Holy Bible, let's see here, we read many prophecies about Jesus and Mary, and, and all of the characters and events in the Old Testament, or many of them, I should say, are believed to be fulfilled in Jesus and Mary and in the church. So, for example, St. Peter compares Noah's Ark to the church and the waters of the flood to the sacrament of baptism. In 1 Peter 3, he says, the ark in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water, prefigured baptism, which saves you now. So this way of reading scripture is called typology because the Old Testament characters and events and so on are types or figures of the characters and events and so on that, are, that fulfill them in the New Testament. Of course, the New Testament fulfillments are always greater than the Old Testament types, right? All, all analogies always limp, as uh, Scott Hahn would say. But typology presents Jesus uh, to us as a new Adam and presents Mary as a new Eve. And this is because the obedience of Jesus and Mary make it possible for us to regain the graces lost by the disobedience of the first Adam and Eve, right? which we call original sin. Now, the first Adam and Eve were created sinless, but they fell into sin. Whereas the new Adam, Jesus, and the new Eve, Mary, were conceived without sin, but then never committed any personal sin. The most popular prayer to Our Lady is the Hail Mary. And the first word of that prayer, of course, this comes from the angelical salutation, the first word being hail, or in Latin, it's ave, right from the words of St. Gabriel. And St. Augustine had something very interesting to say about that word ave, and how it relates to Mary as the new Eve. And we'll talk about that and lots more when we come back with uh, the rest of our program, No Nonsense Catholic, right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm Matthew Arnold. Great to have you along with us. And we will be back right after this.
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app <laughs> for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Daniel, what a testimony, and I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. If you shop on Amazon.com, there's an easy way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just visit smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center under the desired charity. Now, when you log into your Amazon account and purchase products, a portion of it will automatically go to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio at no cost to you. Thanks in advance for supporting CRC and VMPR, and may God richly bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Great to have you along with us. We're talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary, Queen Mother of the Kingdom of God in the Holy Bible. Before the break, we're talking about the Hail Mary being the most popular of Marian prayers, taken directly from the Bible, from Luke chapter 1, the words of the angel Gabriel and the words of St. Elizabeth. It's called the angelical salutation, traditionally, because it begins with the words, Ave gratia plena, hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Now, St. Augustine pointed out that the word Ave, in Latin, Ave gratia plena, that if you reverse the spelling of Ave, you get Eva, which is Latin for Eve. And St. Augustine pointed out that just as that, you know, one changes into the other when you reverse the spelling, he says that the roles of Mary and Eve are also reversed. The first Eve, he says, listened to the bad angel, the serpent, Satan, and disobeyed God. Whereas the new Eve, Mary, listened to the Ave of the good angel, St. Gabriel, and obeyed God. In the garden, the first Eve encouraged Adam, and he fell into sin. Where at the wedding of Cana, Mary, the new Eve, encouraged Jesus, the new Adam, and he performs his first miracle. In the garden, the first Eve stood by a tree and was overcome by the temptation of the devil. 
while the first Adam stood by and did nothing to keep uh, sin and death from coming into the world. And then on Calvary, the new Eve, Mary, stood by the tree of the cross, while the new Adam overcame the devil and redeemed us from sin and death. As the first woman of the natural order, Eve was called the mother of all the living. As the new Eve, Mary is the mother of all those who will enjoy eternal life in the supernatural order. In the first book of the Bible, God says to the devil, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. And that's the, uh, that's the Revised New American Bible translation. Traditionally, it's she will strike at your, uh, she will crush your head. And you will wait for her heel. And in later translations, you'll see it translated he. So referring to the offspring as opposed to referring to the woman. Um, I think that uh, traditionally the argument is uh, for the, uh, the feminine. But, the, you know, it's apparently the, the Hebrew is, uh, is ambiguous, although you've got uh, um, Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars, who would also fight for that translation. She will crush your head. The point is that the woman is Mary and that her offspring is Jesus. And they've, they've rendered it they in the New American Bible because together Jesus and Mary crushed the head of the serpent. Jesus, uh, or Mary rather, by giving birth to the Savior, and Jesus by his sacrifice on the cross. But the, the name is woman. Woman was the name that Adam gave to Eve when she first appeared in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. After that, God promised another woman who would crush the head of Satan. And that woman is Mary. In the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, St. John also tells of the woman who he describes as being bodily assumed and crowned in heaven in Revelation uh, 12. So in both the very first book of the Bible and the very last book of the Bible, we find the woman. Uh, likewise, in the very beginning and at the very end of the earthly ministry of Jesus, we also find the woman. Jesus calls Mary woman at the wedding at Cana and from the cross. Nowhere else in the Bible do we see a son referring to his mother as woman. But both Jesus and Moses, the author of Genesis, and St. John the Evangelist, use the title woman to reveal Mary as the new Eve and as the queen of heaven. Now there's another potent Old Testament symbol that relates directly to Mary, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, in the Old Testament, well, first I should say a, a word about John. <laughs> uh, the Apostle John, especially in, in the Apocalypse, in the book of Revelation, John is very fond of double entendre, and it's true in his gospel as well, and in his letters. Uh, he often uses seemingly paradoxical language. Uh, for example, he talks in the book of Revelation about <clears throat> hearing this roaring of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns to behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he sees a lamb standing as though slain. And he's using those images, <clears throat> both of them, to represent Christ, because Christ is both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the paschal lamb, right, the lamb of God. 
even though those, you know, they're very they're distinct. And, and he'll do the same thing about Mary and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Old Testament in the book of Exodus tells us about the Ark of the Covenant, very special box, essentially, made of acacia wood covered in beaten gold with two golden cherubim, two golden angel statues on the lid. And inside the Ark, <clears throat> the chosen people carried some very special things. Excuse me. Pardon me, I do. It's very smoky here in Orange County. We've got a bunch of uh, fires, and that's where I reside. I drove up to to L.A. to do the show today, but I'm still a little uh, little chesty from all that uh, smoke I've been inhaling. All right, woman, um, the Old Testament. Yes, Exodus. Inside the ark, the chosen peoples put some very special things, and they carried them with them in the wilderness, uh, and then in place in the tabernacle. So inside the ark is the tablet of the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's the word of God. The rod of Aaron, which was a symbol of his high priesthood. And then a jar of manna, the miraculous bread from heaven, with which God fed the chosen people in the desert. Now, in the book of Revelation, John sees a vision of the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, physically in heaven. But when he sees the Ark, instead of a gold box, he describes a woman with a, a crown on her head, okay, who is the mother of Jesus. Uh, Bible says, the, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen in the temple. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations. We know who that is. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So this is Revelation eleven nineteen through Revelation 12, uh, 1 and uh, 12, 5. And there's, you know, there's more ways, because John is so fond of, of double and triple entendre, we can understand this woman is also representing the church and is also representing Israel in a certain sense. But clearly it's Mary who gives birth to Jesus, and it's Jesus who is caught up to the throne of his father. Okay? Mary is the New Testament Ark of the Covenant. She's the fulfillment of the Old Testament Ark, because after the Annunciation, Mary carried Jesus within her who is the New Testament fulfillment of all of the contents of the original Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is uh, the true Word of God, and the Word made flesh, like we read in John chapter 1. He's the true High Priest, as St. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4. He is the true bread from heaven, as our Lord himself testifies in John chapter 6. And that's why one of Mary's uh, titles in the traditional liturgy, or liter, litany rather, the Litany of Loretto, one of her titles is Ark of the Covenant, because this tradition comes from the Bible's presentation of Mary. You know, for, for God's people in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the holiest object in the world. And the chosen people were blessed by the presence of the Ark of God. They even carried it before them into battle. First Samuel chapter 4 tells a story of how one time the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they put the ark in a place of honor and adorned it with gifts, but it was not a blessing to them because they would not turn away from their worship of idols. And it's the same with us and, and the ark of the new covenant. We can honor Mary and offer her prayers, but if we want our devotion to be rewarded by God, then we have to imitate Mary's virtues, her faith, and her obedience. 
You know, of all the four evangelists, St. Luke tells us the most about Mary. And on the surface, they seem like simple stories. But those biblical stories so often have a deeper meaning. For example, in Luke 1, we discover important clues uh, that point to the early church's belief that Mary was the new Ark of the Covenant most especially from the words of the angel Gabriel in the Annunciation and for her visit to Elizabeth. When the angel told uh, Mary that she would have a baby boy who would inherit the throne of David, she said, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? And the archangel said that it would happen by the power of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, that word translated overshadow is only used one other place in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, which tells us how Moses placed the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, holiest place in, you know, the big tent that served as the dwelling place of God during the the 40 years in the desert. Exodus 40 says, uh, 40, 34 and 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, that word translated covered in Exodus 40 is the same word translated overshadow in Luke 1. And when Gabriel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, he's saying that the power of God, the Holy Spirit, will overshadow Mary, just like the power of God, the Holy Spirit, overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And that Old Testament Ark went everywhere with the chosen people. And when David became king of Israel, he brought the ark to Jerusalem. And the meaning of this Old Testament episode is fulfilled when Mary visits Elizabeth. See, after St. Gabriel told Mary she would give birth to the Messiah, the angel had more good news. Behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary decided to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And that visit shows us a very important truth about Mary as Ark of the Covenant. Because Mary's visit to Elizabeth has a lot in common with the Ark of the Covenant coming to David in 2 Samuel. And we'll examine that in some detail when we come back with lots more no-nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Great to have you along with us. Lots more to say about Mary, our Queen Mother of our Sovereign Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Stay tuned, and we will be right back after these minutes. Hands-on apologetics, you have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo, where we go wall-to-wall with defending, explaining, sharing the faith. Master apologist, Carlo Broussard. Carlo, welcome to Hands-on Apologetics. Hey, Gary, it's great to be back in the dojo, my friend. Master apologist, Ken Hensley. Welcome to Hands-on Apologetics. Good to see you again, Gary. Good to be with you. Michael Barber, welcome. You have entered into the Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. Gary, thanks for having me on. We are chatting with Master Apologist Carl Keating. Gary, it's great to be back with you. Coming into the dojo is our good friend Steve Ray. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here. Tim Staples, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Hey, it's great to be with you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Join many others in Gary Machuda's Apologetics Dojo. We have some of the best Catholic apologists in the nation. 
Streaming live weekdays from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific. Hands-on apologetics on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end. And God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Confusion stops here. I am Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and we're talking about Mary, our beloved Queen Mother in the Holy Bible. And we were beginning uh, our remarks about Mary being the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant, that she is the Ark of the New Covenant. And we can see uh, an important parallel about the Ark coming to Jerusalem and Mary's visit to Elizabeth how uh, St. Luke shows us that she is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. So Luke 1 says, Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah. Second Samuel, David arose and went to a city of Judah. Luke 1, where she entered the house of Zechariah. Second Samuel, the Ark entered the house of Obededom. Luke, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb. Second Samuel, David leaped and danced before the ark. Elizabeth said, And how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Whereas David said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Mary re remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. The ark of the covenant remained in the house of Obedidim the Gittite for three months. Luke one forty two says, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice, to show her joy at Mary's arrival. Now that word, translated cried out, only occurs five other times in the Bible. And each time, it's in verses about the Ark of the Covenant and the joyful cries of God's people celebrating the presence of God among them. So by showing us um, how the visitation and the Ark coming to David are so alike, St. Luke is pointing out a simple but great truth. Mary is the Ark of the new covenant. And finally, Mary is the queen of heaven and earth. She's the queen of angels and saints. She's the enthroned on the right side of Jesus in his heavenly kingdom. The Bible says, Revelation 12, 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, 
a woman clothed with the sun and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, as we learned before, that woman is Mary. So the Bible says that Mary is in heaven bodily. Obviously, if she has a hands and feet and a head, she's got a body. And she's also wearing a crown. This is where the fourth and fifth glorious mysteries come from, in the rosary, the assumption, and the coronation. Mary is now, right now, in heaven with her glorified body, same as Jesus. The difference being that Jesus ascended into heaven by his own divine power, and Mary was assumed into heaven. In other words, taken into heaven by God, body and soul. Jesus is the son of Mary. And what is the fourth commandment of God? Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, of course, we know that Jesus obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly. And so he honored his mother in a special way. Since Jesus is the king of kings, it follows that his mother is the queen of heaven and earth. And it does follow because the queen of Israel was not the king's wife. And you can understand why. I mean, David had several wives and Solomon had, you know, any number of wives. And you can imagine what, it, what a political struggle it would be to decide which one of those wives should reign as queen. No, it wasn't his wife. It was his mother, his queen mother. And it is a part of nature that a mother has a certain authority over her children. And this is true even if her son happens to be a king. Uh, the 31st chapter of Proverbs is dedicated entirely to, well, verse 1 says, these are the sayings that King Lemuel of Massa was taught by his mother. And what follows is our instructions from King Lemuel's mom on how to be a good king. She begins by saying, my son Lemuel, you were born in answer to my prayers, so listen carefully. <laughs> listen to your mother. And even though he's a king, right, even though you're a king, a son can still be his mother's ruler, but by the law of nature, is still her son. So a king always has people trying to tell him what to do. And often, of course, they're just, you know, they're out for themselves. They're, they're representing their own selfish interests. But the king's mother can speak freely and, and even remind the king to do things like take care of the poor and the homeless and all of those who would otherwise have no voice, very much the point of uh, King Lemuel's mother in the book of Proverbs. In Old Testament times, the queen mother was known as the friend of the poor and was the intercessor between the people and their king because of her special relationship with him. Is this reminding you of anybody? All through the history of the kingdom of Israel, the queen mother was second only to the king. And they had a special word in Hebrew for the queen mother. They called her Geberah, which means the great lady. And this role of queen mother is fulfilled in the kingdom of Jesus by Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. At a wedding in the town of Cana, Mary told Jesus the bride and groom were out of wine. And even though Jesus said, my hour has not yet come, he performed the miracle and changed water into wine at the request of his mother. St. Bernard tells us why her intercession is so powerful. He says, because Jesus came to us through Mary, and now he wants us to come to him through her. The Bible calls Jesus son of David because the Old Testament prophecies say the Savior would be a descendant of King David. Gospel of Luke shows that Jesus is a descendant of David because Mary was from the royal family of David, and Jesus is her son. The original son of David, who became a king of Israel, was King Solomon. And his uh, queen mother was Bathsheba. And the Bible t shows us how important the queen mother was to her son. 
Bathsheba came into his court. When she entered, Solomon bowed to her, had her seated on a throne at his right hand. No other subject was given that kind of honor. And she asked Solomon for a favor. And he said, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And in the Latin, literally, it's for I must not turn away thy face. He's obliged to uh, give his mother the request. Now, unfortunately, Bathsheba unknowingly was asking for something that would uh, bring about the ruin of the kingdom, and he had to uh, to refuse that request. So the point there is that the queen mother has a right to intercede, but the final decision is up to the king. But Jesus and Mary are the perfect New Testament fulfillment of the high king and queen mother, and Jesus will never say no to Mary. Mary's immaculate heart is so perfectly conformed to his sacred heart that she could never ask anything of Jesus that wasn't in line with his divine will. And that's another reason that we pray for her intercession because she perfects our requests and takes them to her son. So at the wedding at Cana, she intercedes for that poor bride and groom, tells Jesus they have no wine. And he replies, literally, woman, what is that to me and to thee? Which at the time was a way of saying, you know, what do you want me to do? What would you have me do? Remember when Jesus calls Mary woman, he's proclaiming her role as new Eve like it says in Genesis, and Queen Mother, like it says in Revelation. So we also see that as king, Jesus will not refuse uh, his Queen Mother, because even though he says, my hour has not yet come, suggesting it wasn't time for him to begin his public ministry, our Lord still performs his first miracle at the request of his Blessed Mother. Unlike Bathsheba, Mary doesn't try and tell Jesus what to do. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She had complete faith that whatever Jesus would do would be the best thing. And so when we pray for Mary to intercede with us for Jesus, we know that she will perfect our prayers and that whatever his answer is, it'll be the best thing for us too. Uh, St. John Paul II was devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The motto of his papacy was totus tuus, totally yours, in reference to the Blessed Virgin. Pope Francis is devoted to Mary under the title Our Lady Undoers of Knots, which is actually a, a painting um, that is in a uh, the Church of St. Peter in Augsburg in Germany. It's an unusual title, but in the picture, you know, she's untying this, this rope that has several knots in it, and the knots represent the, uh, the sins and the troubles in our life. And just as Our Lady helped to undo the sin of Eve through her Ave, She helps undo the knots of sin and difficult situation in our lives through her prayers to Jesus for us. You know, uh, Mary is represented in the Bible as Mother of God, as New Eve, as Ark of the Covenant, as Queen Mother of the Kingdom of Heaven. And we know that Jesus always gives Mary what she asks for in prayer. She's the Queen of Saints and our most powerful intercessor. At the presentation, the prophet Simeon uh, declared Jesus was the promised Savior, but he said to Mary, a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart. And that certainly happened during our Lord's Passion, that Mary shared all of her son's suffering. At the foot of the cross, our, our sorrowful lady watched Jesus as he died for our sins, and that sword of sorrow pierced her soul. And in the mysteries of the rosary, we see that Mary shared the most important moments in the life of Jesus, his conception, his birth, his first miracle, his suffering on the cross. And it was from the cross that Jesus said to Mary, Woman, behold your son. And he said to St. John, who represented all Christians at the foot of the cross, 
Behold your mother. In this way, Jesus made Mary the mother of us all, and we became her children. From the cross, Jesus gave us his mother to be the mother of the church and the mother of all of us as his parting gift of love before he died. Now, as mother of the church, Mary was there with the apostles and the disciples, you know, uh, for the resurrection appearances and, of course, at the descent of the Holy Spirit. And on that day that we call Pentecost Sunday, God the Holy Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus to give them sanctifying grace, just as he does, uh, just as he overshadowed Mary at the conception of Jesus. And at the end of her earthly life, Mary is taken to heaven, body and soul, and crowned queen. She's our mother. She's our queen. She's the one that we can always turn to. Of all the people on earth, she was the one closest to Jesus, and she still is in heaven. Of all the saints, Mary is the most powerful bringing our prayers before our Lord and Savior and King, Jesus Christ. And the church offers many devotions, many prayers to Mary, the Holy Rosary, the Angelus, the Memorare, Chaplet of the Seven Sorrows, many, many more. We honor Mary with so many prayers because as the Bible shows us, it was only through her fiat, through her yes to God, that we could be saved from our sins and go to heaven someday. Remember, no Mary, no Jesus, no Mary, no Jesus. And that's no nonsense. Let's have a quick word of prayer for all of us who are consecrated to Our Lady. Let's renew that now in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Immaculata, Queen and Mother of the Church, I renew my consecration to you for this day and for always, so that you might use me for the coming of the kingdom of Jesus in the whole world. To this end, I offer you all of my prayers, actions, and sacrifices of this day. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Hey, by the way, I have that prayer up in the show notes for today's podcast. So if you want to uh, look at, find a copy of that, it'll be there for your convenience. Next week, when we come back, uh, the election will be over. I'm going to make a prediction. I'll, I will grant you or I'll bet you that the day after that election, there will still not be a clear winner. I think we're in for a rough time. So lots of prayers needed for our country and for one another. And until we meet again, may God richly bless you and your family. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were open to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church. So I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.